I want to look particularly at part of chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, but I, I, I'd, I'd like, in order to kind of set the scene for you, um, to begin in chapter 5. Um, Solomon, went before the end of David's life, that was his father, he gathered a lot of materials to build the temple, uh, a lot of the costly materials he provided himself, but he, he wasn't given liberty to build, actually build the temple himself. He left, that God left that for his son Solomon to do. And therefore, the beginning of the book of Chronicles explains the temple and its furnishings and everything else that went in it. Um, and then, from five onwards, we have the account, first of all, of the ark of God being brought into the temple. That was this box that, with the mercy seat that represented and at times was the place of God's presence among his people. So chapter 5 verse 1 describes when all the work that Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and gold and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem, the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. Then we have the description of that event. If you turn down to the end of the chapter, and we'll begin at verse 13, the trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. We then have Solomon re responding to God uh, we've been looking at the presence of God. We now have Solomon responding to the presence of God being visited, manifested again among his people. And uh, we have Solomon's prayer of dedication. This is verse 12 of chapter 6. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, in front of the whole assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands. Now he had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and placed it in the center of the outer court. And he stood on the platform, then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O oh Lord, God of Israel, there is no one like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You've kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it, as it is today. He then carries on praying and makes one or two provisos and arrangements with God so that if they keep in the, in, in the right path, they'll benefit from it. And if they wander from the right path, they'll get clobbered for it. He kind of, whether he was talking to the, to the people so that they understood the rules or whether he was telling God the rules, read it for yourself. But then we get down to verse 40, and uh, I, I want to read now the section I want us to look at particularly. Now, my God, May your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. The, the, the magnificent words. Now, arise, O Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. 
May your saints rejoice in your goodness. Oh, Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. That when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Is obviously the in chorus. But then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle. Wow. And 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple to God. We've been looking at the presence of God and how important it is. I hope by now you're convinced that it's possible to know the presence of God in your life. I hope there's an increased expectation of the, that it's normal in the day-to-day to know the presence of God, to experience Him, hear His voice, and sometimes be overwhelmed simply by the extent of grace that's reached you. I, I do hope that you, you revel in that. It's a great privilege. But when God's presence comes to you, what then? What do you do? What, what is appropriate at times when the Lord is speaking to you and, and coming to your life? Now, we looked last time at Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, and, and, and God revealed himself to Isaiah, and it, all that Isaiah felt was awe and unworthiness, and then eventually, once he's been cleansed, a sense of willingness to go for God. In Solomon's case, that we've just read, we see something in addition to that. We see that the presence of God stimulates or ought to stimulate in the life of the Christian a natural instinct to worship. And I want to look at the importance for us as God's people of worship. It's actually the most important thing we do when we come together. It is the principal reason for being here on a Sunday morning, to worship, to give God something. We can tend to come and say, oh, I didn't enjoy the worship this morning. Actually, it, that wasn't actually why we came to do it. Right? Oh, the worship was a bit slow this morning. Well, who said that? You or God? Because actually it was for Him. Right? Do you understand? And we bring our worship to Him. And I want to look at the whole, the way that this worked out for Solomon. You see, we, we, if we're not careful, and we come from a most unfortunate culture, that worship is something we kind of do as a warm-up. You know, we, we all come together in order to make us all jolly and all join in. You know, like you have at parties, you kind of, everybody stands up and rubs the, somebody else's shoulders. Everybody in there, what do you call them? Steve Nottage is an expert on these things. Icebreakers, warm-ups, yeah, you know, so that, you know, we kind of, we're happy clappy. Or, you know, we, we have a little bit of worship to kind of get it going. What an abuse. That's not, I'm sorry, that is not worship. We can have done all of that and not worshipped at all. And it, actually, I don't think it matters where, which ritual you use. 
You know, we, we, could, we could have a kind of liturgical ritual this morning, and we could be bobbing up and down like jack-in-the-boxes, and uh, we could, that it would be possible, although some of us find it more difficult than others, it could be possible to worship in that expression. There is also a charismatic ritual. And it's possible. Isn't it awful? I, I, I'm, I was talking to someone this, this, this week, and we agreed that uh, what, what, what charismatic now means. It seems to mean that, we, that, that it means you have guitars in worship instead of organs. And it, it seems to mean that you're kind of happy-clappy and you like rock music. Can, can you imagine anything more alien to what charismatic means? I, the, the whole sense of, uh, of, the, uh, of the gift of God is that a life is an encounter with the Almighty. It doesn't matter two hoots what the instrument is, although in a culture one might be more helpful than another. But the idea that we should reduce what, what a charismatic is to liking rock music and clapping when we sing, I think we've probably missed, we've thrown the baby out and, and kept the bathwater. You can agree. Now you can cheer and clap and kind of say, yes, David, preach it! <laughs> do you mind, can you do that, Jeff? Just practice. Go on. You got a sore throat. What a feeble excuse. Worship is an encounter with God. It, it's a personal response. It's an overflow of heart. Now, when we look at this incident here in, in 2 Chronicles 7, we have two aspects of worship actually coming together. Um, but first of all, it's an encounter of awe. or a, it, It's an encounter with glory. You see, what happened was that they were bringing the ark into the temple. And uh, I, I suppose expectations were, well, this is a nice occasion, we're dedicating Solomon's building. But in, in the process of the ark coming in, God came. I don't know whether they were expecting him or not. I don't know whether people were so surprised that the presence of God was so strong that people had to back off. Solomon then starts to pray and he's coming now to the point of dedicating. He's got all these cows there. Can you imagine? Right? The mess must have been enormous. Can you imagine the noise with that many cows? I don't know if you've ever been to an auction. But have you, have you ever been to a cattle auction? There's a general background murmuring going on. And therefore the whole scale of the thing, and this beautiful temple, lots of gold, you know, that it would be possible to have a really good show, kill all the cows and go home. But that's not what Solomon wants. He says, and again, Now arise, O Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. There's this, God, you must be here. You must manifest yourself again. That there's a cry of heart here that must be on the heart of every Christian if we're going to worship. Dear God, you must be my God. You must be real to me. Please don't allow me to go wandering through the wilderness for another year without knowing you. Aware of you. Yeah, you can shout. Come on, Jeff, can I have it, please? Preach it, preach it. It's so important. No, at least nod. Do understand, this cry of Solomon, Arise, O Lord, be evident, be present, be real in my life, in, the, in this congregation of your people. 
It's an absolute precursor, necessary preliminary, if you like, to worship. Then, of course, God came, the fire came down, the cloud was in the place, above the place, around the place, everywhere. It's similar to the pillar of fire that we saw in Numbers 9, when the, 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 it glowed in the dark and was a pillar of cloud during the day, and God was among them. It, it was one of the big occasions in the Old Testament. There are a number, big occasions. Some weeks ago, actually, there are, there, there are not as many as you'd expect. Remember when we, when we were in Numbers and, and, and there's that occasion when Moses went out to the tent of meeting. Remember? And, and, and the cloud came down and God communed with his servant. And it says that all the people were stood at a distance at the door of their tent and then they worshipped. Yeah? That, that, the big moment. I'm sure they told their grandchildren about it. And they were just overwhelmed by the presence of God and down they went. That there are some others. There's this one here. Later on in Chronicles, there's the, the, the incident with Jehoshaphat. It's, a, it's in chapter 20 and verse 17. And, and they, they were going out to war. They were, they, the odds were not in their favor. And God came. And it says that God came. And they all bowed down and worshipped. There's another, there another incident. Perhaps I'll turn to this one. Chapter 29. Um, when Hezekiah was, uh, had restored right worship and and was, was implementing the feasts in a way that hadn't been kept for years and years. Verse 28, the whole assembly bowed in worship while the singers sang and the trumpeters played. And all this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. Th these are the big moments. There was another one some, some months ago, is it years ago, when we were in Nehemiah. And you have the people of God. It, it almost always happens when the people as a people have sorted themselves out and are devoting themselves freshly to God. And there was this, the incident in Nehemiah um, when they, they, they got back to the land and uh, it says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted up their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! It must have been a wonderful sight. Don't you think? Like you when I'm preaching this morning. Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Awe, uh, an awareness, a sudden jolt. That, wow, God is here. And it, it, it means that they're, they're, they're moved by his nearness and his presence and his splendor. Psalm 29, David says, Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 96, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him. And this is one of those occasions where God's people suddenly become aware of his glory here. Dear Lord, give us all an experience imminently of God's glory here. It's great to read it in the 17th and 18th century. Some of us are more guilty of that than others. And we think that God actually like, like wearing black clothes and, and, and singing Welsh hymns or something ridiculous. But actually it's not true. God visits us here. Given that, there's a certain interesting appropriate expression. Did you notice um, in chapter 6 and verse 13 of Solomon, 
where it says that, let me find him. It says, now he had made a bronze, all about his platform. And he, he stood on the platform, then knelt down before the whole assembly and spread out his hands towards heaven. We, we read in chapter 7, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord. We're, we're very dysfunctional. If it was in a natural realm, we'd be very, very worried how uncoordinated we are. You see, in Old Testament times, when God came, it actually affected people physically as well as inside. That they worshipped God, and sometimes they worshipped him on their knees. I said, well, that's Old Testament. No, it's not. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You, you, in Ephesians 3.14, for this reason I kneel before the Father, says the Apostle from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Psalm 95.6 Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. We, we, I don't know how we, how we came about it, but we've actually, in England, got to the place of the tradition where we, we, we worship God like this, right? But this has been it for 200 years, right? And we've thought that, you know, it's, it's really real inside, but I mustn't let it show. Yes? Now, thank God we've, re, we've come out of that some way. And uh, I, I was quite relieved this morning when we were worshipping God and clapping and raising our hands that there was a general sense that physically there needs to be a match with what's going on in my heart. Actually, it's very important for my worship. I am a whole person. I don't just worship God with my heart. I worship God with my whole being. And sometimes, to move the movable parts of me first, if there's sin in your heart, you know, if you've beaten your wife before you came in in the morning, you know, don't clap your hands. Get on your knees and cry, right? That's the appropriate physical response there. But, but sometimes, in the whole process of worship, to, almost to prime the pump, I need to stir my own heart. It's not only God who needs to rise up. And the, the scriptures are actually, for this whole business of falling down. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, this is in Exodus 4, they bowed down and worshipped. The, the rumours that the Passover was all about walking over a, over a, a, a sea, of course, are false. And uh, one or two that picked out the um, not deliberate mistake will... Uh, People gloated about the follies of my theology this week. So grateful to those of you that didn't kind of clobber me with it and ask me theological questions in house scripts, but never mind. It is the Passover sacrifice. And I, I dropped a clangor and one or two people picked it up, for those of you that weren't here. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. And this is what we read, remember when he, when he said, Lord, you must come with us. And he almost felt what the Lord was saying, I've had enough of you, Lord, I'm not coming with you. And when he pleaded with God, he said, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Oh Lord, if I have found favour in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. I wonder why our expression is quite so muted. I, we, we must ask ourselves privately on this one. 
Is there poor coordination in my life? Am I too self-conscious? Am I dysfunctional in my worship? Have I been duped into thinking that worship is something personal, deeply private, and I mustn't let it show on the outside? I would say that we worship as whole people, body, soul, and spirit. Oh, I got an amen. Excellent. Okay. That, you see, the reason for that, in some ways, is this. That when the people of God worshipped, they, they were declaring whose sides they were on. That there was something about God's people coming together here with the, with the ark being put into the temple. That there's a sense of allegiance being declared, a sense of submission and ownership saying where we stand. In, in chapter 7 and verse 21, it says, it explains the alternative. And though this temple is now so imposing, all of this is if they turn away, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? So that if, if I actually start to worship other gods, there are these terrible consequences on my life. Something I, I was reading this week in 2 Kings 10 of Jehu and his zeal for the Lord. It was to corral all the lead, all the worshippers of Baal in this one great celebration and then mow them down. I'm not suggesting that we do that in the nation today for people who don't worship the Lord God. Um, but it, it was all as a product. You know, the, the commandment it, it, it is very clear for us. It still stands. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or on earth beneath or in the waters above. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Again in Deuteronomy 11, be careful, he says, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn. Isn't it easy? to make other gods, isn't it? The, uh, the God is the thing that I'm prepared to sacrifice for, go out of my way for. The, 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 my, the, the God is the thing that I find my significance in, something I serve. John writing in his letter, right, it says, keep yourself from idols. All kinds of things can kind of close in on my heart, can't they? Some of the, well, it's not just the women. Sometimes our homes and how, how nice I want it can, can ensnare and become so important. Sometimes our jobs, you know, we can serve and find significance and sacrifice for them in a way that is little short of idolatry. And uh, worship is very good for us in that sense. Really. When... If only, no, this is not a nag, it's an encouragement. Right? Come early on a Sunday morning. Come and sit down. Great that there wasn't a gaggle around the door. What went wrong this morning, I don't know, but it was wonderful to see it. Right? Come to worship. Come to worship. Be here early, find your seat, and when the musicians start, be ready. For this reason, that if we come prepared to worship and worship, it will be enormously liberating in dethroning the other gods that otherwise would compete for our lives. Uh, I find the times when I have not been enraptured, and what's the word, overcome in worship, that it has a cleansing effect on my life. The other gods are dethroned. At least they're, they're, comp they're competing in silence for a period. So important. 
So on Sunday mornings, you're not coming to listen to me. That's just the bit we tag on the end. We're not coming for a good time because we like the way the musicians play. We're actually coming. Thank God that they play with life, not death. I'm not knocking the style. We come to worship. But there is a second step. You see, the, pro the problem for the Hebrews was that God was out external to them, not internal. And they, they just carried on sinning. And therefore, most of the worship practiced in the Old Testament is related to sacrifice. And, and for, in many, many cases, worship meant the acts that led to atonement and covering. Burnt offerings, atonement offerings, wave offerings, all the rest. And, and so that worship was, was taken up with trying to keep things right or put things right. That, that, largely, that's, that's what the daily mechanics produced. And as I said, there were those occasions where God's people were right for long enough for God's presence to be manifested. And I'm sure in the heart of God, there, there, was, a, there was almost a, a longing here. The, the, the one distinct occasion where it was more than this, of course, was in the reign of David. And in David's reign, the, 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 the sacrifices and the ark were kept out at Shiloh. But, and David pitched a tent in Jerusalem, and it was much more a tent of meeting. It was David's tabernacle. And he organized all these choirs and musicians, and sacrifice was down there, and worship and just praise to God blossomed in David's reign. And he had a place in Jerusalem. Now, the two were brought together again, ultimately. But the prophets talk, Amos talks about the day when God would restore David's tabernacle. And uh, when the gospel went to the Gentiles, and they, Acts 15, and talking about how that the, the, there were all, all the nations were going to find redemption and find salvation in Jesus, that, that James actually refers to it as the Lord restoring David's tabernacle. What does it mean? Well, it means that as a people, we are brought to a place where our forgiveness is established, where atonement is made, when the matter of my, my being right with God is settled by his grace. Now, given that position, David's tabernacle, which was a place of worship and thanksgiving and honor and glory, can be established again among his people. Because we're not, when we come to God, every time having to come with another lamb, chop, Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean that. I mean, slice, sacrifice. If I'd thought of that in my notes, it would have been a good one, wouldn't it? I could have been ready for you. You see, what happened was that God's presence came down. The fire came down. The glory of God was manifest. And it says that they, that, that they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good and His love endures forever. There's something about worship that comes through to the point where I know that He is good and His love endures forever. It was the chorus of the day. Matthew Henry put it this way, This is a song never out of season, for which our hearts and tongues should never be out of tune. This is a song that is never out of season, for which our hearts and our tongues should never be out of tune. He is good, and his love 
endures forever. Chesed is the Hebrew word. It's his loving kindness. God's tender mercies. His affection to me. There's a crack in Psalm. I don't know whether Psalm... 136, and it's that one where it says, Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to God for such and such and such, how his mercy endures forever. And it, it's almost as if in life, wouldn't it be a good thing? If part of our whole, he is good and his love endures forever. Imagine what difference that would make if you could kind of weave that into your words. You know, if, if, well, Brian's got a space saver on his, on his, on his, on his PC. Stops his screens getting all warped. Out. He is good. Perhaps it wouldn't, it wouldn't come on often enough. You know, but well, all right, I'll draw the parallel. You, know, you, 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 you have on your screen that your work is automatically saved every two minutes. Wouldn't it be great if you could program it in so that it just kind of came out if you've got speakers like Brian? I haven't got speakers. Brian's got speakers on his computer. <laughs> he is good and his love. And if we could only pepper our day with an awareness that he is good. Brian Pearson, sorry, mate, I was looking at you, his love endures forever. Ever. Now, this is the, this is the second, this is, we, we come to a sense of awe, and then we realize we are loved to bits. Loved and loved and loved to bits. That's what he's saying here. Actually, Solomon refers to it as his covenant of love. What a beautiful phrase. That God has written an agreement with you. And he has called it a covenant of love. Of course, Solomon knew all about this. How he found, he must have had a capacity to, for love with the number of wives he had. Not to mention the concubines and all the others. Right? But if ever a man must have understood intimacy, <laughs> perhaps he didn't. <laughs> no, perhaps he didn't. Correct the notes. He didn't understand delighting in, a, in someone else. He didn't understand tender words. Maybe. But the Song of Solomon that he wrote certainly did. He is good and his love endures forever. And therefore, as a people in our worship, we are drawn by this. But we, we find that love has accepted us. There's a warm affection in God so that when I come to a place of worship, I'm not coming, Lord, I, I need cheering up this morning. I, uh, I hope the worship's nice and goy. No. I come into the presence of one whose love has drawn me and overwhelmed me. He's made a covenant with me. Awkwardness is gone. Barriers and pro prohibitions have been overcome. He's, he's given me a new and a living way into his presence. And I am a, a, able to be a worshipper. Isn't that wonderful? Do you understand? They said, God, come. And God came. And they were awed. And then they realized that his, he is good. And his love, his love goes on and on. It's bow heads. We're going to sing some songs of worship. Time has fled once again. It would be quite wrong if we didn't just give everyone the opportunity to give expression, to take, or just to, to worship. Lord, we, we're so grateful that you've come to us and 
put your spirit in our hearts and we are a people who know the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. Thank you even as we sit here. There's a nearness of your presence which is just delightful. We're so grateful, Lord, so grateful that you've done it like this for us. You've drawn so close in the Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you've loved us to bits. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Lord, we want to tell you this morning, we don't want any more golden images. We don't want to bow down to the works of man's hands anymore. Lord, we, we don't want to, to worship at the, the, at the altars of the sensuous bowels of our day anymore. Lord, we, we don't want to, to seek after any God that promises victories in war and success by their standard. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to be a people whose whole hearts is given up and moved and stirred by how great you are and how much you've loved us. Lord, let's stand together. Lord, lift my heart. Lord, we stand in your presence this morning and we ask you, that you will cause for your spirit to so stir us and change us. And we say, Lord, in the times that we're together in this coming week, Lord, enable us to love you and to worship you. Lord, when we gather next Sunday morning, Lord, from the, from the time of, of our awaking to the time of being here together, to together love you and worship you, Lord, let that whole expectation be on every heart. In the name of Jesus.